You are listening to Proudly Resents. Oh, reason. I, I can't even hear you. Hi, this is Sammy Wazell. Uh, Proudly Resents. The Cult Movie Podcast. The Adam's Biggest Men Show. To all you Proudly Resents listeners out there, just remember, you can't fit that hospitality. I want it. All right. It's Proudly Resents, ProudlyResents.com. I'm Adam Spiegelman. I'm here with my brother, Michael Spiegelman. Mike, how are you? I'm good, Adam. How are you? Good. It's Friday night. Yeah. This is uh, not only Prowler Resents, where we're going to resent the great movie. Uh, no, it's not a great movie. Spoiler it's a great alert. Movie. Yeah, that's why I have you on. You love this film. Yeah. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop 3, and it's part of Podcrawl, where I ro- roped in a couple of great podcasts to do this with me. There's a great podcast called Hey, Do You Remember? And they did Beverly Hills Cop 1. And then. Does This Have Legs did Beverly Hills Cop 2. And the great thing about Hey, Do You Remember? Well, a couple of good things about that show is one, it's a funny show, but they uh, do a lot of research. So a lot of, they talk a lot about the third film, so I don't have to. So if you want to hear about Beverly Hills Cop 3. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, history is great. Listen to their show. But also their Die Hard episode had so much great information. Uh, it's really worth it. And then the other great thing about the show is they're all like millennials. So to hear them, to hear them talk about 80s fashions was pretty hilarious. Yeah, they're taking notes. Right? Well, one guy kind of alluded that uh, it was like they were all, everyone in the 80s was in cosplay. Um, <laughs> That's it. <laughs> which isn't far off. 90, right? It's the same with 90s fashion, too. So, you know, they'll bite them in the ass. <laughs> ah, so screw you and your Pokemon Go. Yeah, That's your Pokemon Go, assholes. Uh, yeah, cool. Happy Friday night. So, we're going to talk about this movie. Because you are obsessed with it, am I yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, uh, I let, I'm a big fan of Eddie Murphy, and I'm a big fan of John Landis. And uh, at one point, I own all of John Landis's uh, video cassettes, and I would just watch all his movies. And Beverly Hills Cop Three was the third collaboration they did, and uh, it's just it's uh, it's a little detached. It holds up. There's a lot of entertainment to it, but it seems like an outdoor stage show with stuntmen, you know. And uh, this, it's just uh, a lot of a lot of stuff. Great stuff in this movie. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's bad and it's good. I mean, I, I you know I have a bad movie rule about a bad movie can't be bad before the end credit, uh, beginning credits end. Do you know what I mean? Like it has to be good enough to say directed by the director and then be crappy. If you can't like have a decent movie before the beginning credits, it's not going to be a good movie. And this movie does a, a kind of a sub rule, which is it doesn't have any opening credits. There's no opening credits to this movie. You know, there's it, this is the title like one hour and thirty eight minutes into this film. It doesn't say Beverly Hills Cop three until the end credits. Afraid maybe you'd walk out. You're like, oh, I'm in the wrong film. <laughs> this isn't Last Action Hero. Yeah, I think so. It's very weird. It's obviously a money grab, but it's Eddie Murphy. Uh, I mean, I was going to say this later, but we're going to go into the film. He does like the bad Eddie Murphy acting. Like if you ever see Meet Dave, which uh. I had a unique experience of seeing that movie um, in a screener because I had to get, uh, I work in, I interview celebrities for TV shows. And so I went to a press screening or whatever and no big deal. No, but I was the only one in the theater, and it was a, the worst <laughs> movie you've ever seen in your life. It's, like, mind-bogglingly terrible. That movie's bad. And he, I don't know if he stops trying, because obviously he, he's Eddie Murphy. He's amazing talent. But you just, like, he just kind of walks through it, you know? He's like, yeah. he realizes, oh, fuck, I got to do, I'm in this. I might as well just finish this. He's, like, literally sleepwalking. He's like, you think that in Beverly Hills Cop 3, he's sleepwalking, or his character is sleepwalking? Well, that's how good he is. Yeah, because it's like 10 years later, and he's a little more mature, Axel, and he's a little more somber. I mean, he had his best friend shot. He had his best friend cop nearly dead. And then his best friend cop gets shot in the beginning of this movie. So it's. Well, you're, uh, skipping, you're skipping ahead a little bit. Yes. No, no, that's in the first 10 minutes of the movie. I haven't left the first 10 minutes of this movie. <laughs> oh, I haven't even gotten to the non title se- sequence. Yeah. Did we see Beverly Hills Cop together? I'm assuming we did. In the movie theater? I don't remember. Yeah. But on TV a lot. But, and on video a lot. Yeah. I, I love that movie so much, the first one. I even watched it um, 
embarrassing enough on my wedding night <laughs> after Melissa went to bed I was like oh my god I'm married I can't believe this what am I going to do well I'll watch uh, I'll watch this I love this movie I was like so happy I couldn't wait to see my favorite movie and I felt like that held up or maybe I was just happy it's good circumstances right right so anything the third movie is obviously a money grab and I, and I guess Eddie Murphy was going through his uh, serious actor phase and, and all these other and he kind of follows when his contemporaries do like when uh Spike Lee and, and other wave of black filmmakers, he had to make his own movie. So he made Harlem Nights, which is a terrible film. <laughs> so this is when all the other actors are doing serious work. So I think he wanted to do serious work. So that was a take on why he wasn't crazy, funny, trying to be funny, Axel Foley. And a couple of times he accidentally realizes he's doing something funny or he laughs at a situation. He's still, he's still the character. He's still Axel Foley, but I just feel like Axel Foley has the weight of the world on his shoulders and that, you know, he's he's back in Detroit doing what he loves to do, busting up illegal chop shops, and then tragedy strikes again, and he has a lot of peril. You know, young kids. I mean, he has the weight of the world on his shoulders. So I feel still feel like it's Axel Foley. It's just he's very depressed, and also he doesn't really give a shit in a lot of scenes. He doesn't. Yeah, the chop shop thing is hilarious. So he's with these guys, and we'll get into the film now. Uh, so there's no opening credits? No opening credits. It just starts, and you're just like, what the hell happened? There- and I thought, you know, if I saw it in the theater, I'd be like, hey, the projector's broken. Cause, <laughs> or we lost a reel because of what's going on. There is an opening. There is a credit that says uh, Detroit, Michigan, Thursday, one thirty-seven a.m. So I don't know if that's a joke. And the the font is kind of the fifties, sixties, seventies kind of shadowy. It has a little shadow. The the all caps. So it, it's so like you, a font. Yeah. Yeah, it's like fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, maybe like two thousands. Yeah, it's like from today? today and the and the classic. <laughs> But, I mean, it's a dated font, and it feels like that's your first joke of Beverly Hills Cop 3. It's Detroit, Michigan, Thursday, one thirty-seven a.m. And when you say dated, you're not sure what date that is. It's just, it could be a lot Thursday. of different dated. Is it Wednesday night? Is it really Thursday morning? You know is I mean? it really you care at this point? That's when you yeah. should have left the theater. Yeah, that's when you wake up your wife and go, all right, listen. But um, so, can I just yeah. say the first four minutes, Ed? Of this movie, the first minute is Axel Foley. It's Eddie Murphy. You pay money to see Eddie Murphy. The second minute is, is inside the chop shop. It's Bobby and Snake dancing to the Supremes on the radio. You know Bobby and Snake? They take the first... So the seven opening credit, there's a song and dance sequence. Like this is a stage production of these two illegal chop shop mechanics dancing to uh, uh, Come See About Me uh, and doing musical numbers. It, it's the actor from uh, Entourage and uh, Sopranos, uh, Lombardo. And uh, a guy I looked up on uh, IMDb, his name is uh, Fred Asparagus. That's his actual name. Uh, and they play like... If you I've look actually... At the, yeah. I don't want to show off, but I've actually interviewed him. I, I've stood next to him in the bathroom, and i got to tell you. <laughs> yeah, oh, God, man. Uh, I can mad at these, though. I hate to be that you. Yeah, yeah, oh, it was bad. Yeah. It was bad. It, you always knew when he was in the bathroom before you. But anyway, so yes. There's a, but before you talk about the chops up scene, the scene where Eddie Murphy's being Eddie Murphy, he's, his opening line is, to the other cops, do you guys know what's... Do you have any questions, right? He says, do you have any questions? And they all look at him and they all say, no, I don't have any questions. Then he proceeds to explain the operation that they have <laughs> no questions about. That's, isn't yeah. that the, 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 the cheat in exposition to be like the bank robber stops and goes, hold on a second. What are we doing here? We're robbing a yeah. bank. And then One more time. One more time just so we know we all got it. So he said, any questions? They go, yeah, I don't know what we're doing. Well, let me explain to you. Well, he had the plans on top of the hood of this car, which, by the way, this car, bulletproof. Just nothing. It's a, nothing will destroy this car. But that's that's in the next three minutes of this film. But right now they have the plans, like photographs, of inside the interior of the chop shop. And they're outside the chop shop. They're in the parking lot holding plans, police stuff, having a police meeting outside 
of this place they're about to raid. Like, couldn't they have the meeting, like, at the police station and then go sneak over to the parking lot? Must they have the meeting on the hood of the car in the parking lot of the place they're about to raid? That through. I mean, you can have a meeting and then some guy would be like, hey, there's cops outside having a cop meeting. Well, let's go shoot them. Because we just happen to be inside with our guns. We could just walk out to the parking lot. Well, not so. only inside the guns, but huge trucks are coming in. So, that, you know, you can see outside. Yeah, why are they're in an abandoned area of Detroit. Of Detroit, next to the train station. LA. Yeah. Yeah, that um, you would think if you see any kind of action that uh, it's cops. Yeah. You, yeah, you got to think it's cops. So there are big trucks going into that into that chop shop. There's a big yellow truck that goes in there. No one unobserved. The trucks go in there and they bring this. They do this song and dance, which I guess you're right. They should. I guess that's where they were going to have the um, the credits. The credits, and they decide not to. So that's but that's the world you're now into. Like if you love Beverly Hills Cop. With with uh, Detroit cop going into lot, uh, lo- you know, just wrecking havoc. It none of it's there. The first three minutes is this song and dance. It's saying, wow. it's saying, uh, uh, this is what you're going to get for Beverly Hills Cop Three. You know, a song well, and dance instead summer. of a chase. Yeah, because remember the there was these big car chases. Uh, yeah, so the so this movie like you, the the beginning of this movie is just like so heavy i mean like they're, they're doing this and they go in uh but before they go in and uh they do the song and dance number bobby and snake and uh then the bad guy comes in but i just feel like if you if you really love beverly hills cop and you the excess of beverly hills cop too it's the da- song and dance number just says none of that's going to be in this movie this is a completely different beast this isn't what you're going to expect you know what i mean i don't know if it's did john landis touch or that was where they're going to put the credits or is to show that these are good guys that got killed. This is just Eddie Murphy's just a bunch of busting up a bunch of guys, the good guys who just needed some extra yeah. cash. But well, the these bad villains. guys came in with these trucks. These villains. Now the bad guys are the real bad guys. These these shop like guys are Murphy's all something. Jewish guy. You know, it is John Landis because it's the song and dance. Like it's it's eventually we're going to go to an amusement park. But right now we have these regular people dancing like they're at an outdoor outdoor theater performance in an amusement park. They're doing they're dancing to the Supremes. They're doing a show, so I feel like they're doing a show to the audience in the theater. What you know, like hey, we're gonna do a show, and here's the musical number, and we start. And uh, uh, it is kind of a little bit John Landis because it mixes genres up, I guess. To start with the musical number. So um, before they go out there, now like we established, they're in the middle. <laughs> there's trains. There's you know, there's a banded area. It Eddie is Murphy's Detroit. Boss. Yes, but Eddie Murphy. Yeah, that was that was actually City Hall. Just kidding. Eddie Murphy's boss, the supervisor, is the stereotypical or tropophobic, tropotropa black cop, uh, screaming black cop, who's in all three of these movies. Pops up out of nowhere and goes, "Hey, don't fuck this up! You know, you need SWAT. That's what you need he SWAT. Need SWAT. Yeah." And Murphy's like, "We don't need SWAT." Now, I want to know why was the captain there? It's so bizarre. He shows up out of nowhere, right? Like if you're a pool cleaner and all of a sudden your boss just pops up and goes, "Hey, don't do that. There might be sharks in there or something." It just maybe this is a terrible example I just gave, but you know where I was trying to go with it. It reminds me of a radio drama or even a, a cartoon where like. You know, hey, look who happens to be walking down the street. It's my lieutenant. Good to see you guys, you know, and turn the page. I just walking down the street, you know, like, so it, it does, it's staged differently. This movie is a little staged differently. And I, I feel like maybe it's more like for a performance, you know. And so, yeah, he just walks in and uh, he's about to walk out, you know, and uh, that's when trouble begins. begin. But yeah, but he just happens to be there. So, yeah, so the, the good guys, Snake and Jake, are in the chop shop and the bad guys give them the stuff they want or they give them the stuff they want and then they give them the money. But when they go to open up the attache case with the money, they really have guns in there, which is the oldest trick in the book. Again, like a cartoon, they had no idea. But <laughs> here's a huge... I mean, I guess you need this to make the movie work. I'm going to go back a little bit. In the podcast, Does This Have Legs? They talk about Beverly Hills Cop 2 where the way Axel Foley finds out 
that his LA cop friend got shot while he's in Detroit was it was on local news and they're like they couldn't get over the fact that why would local news cover the Detroit local news cover the fact that somebody in LA got shot you know which doesn't right doesn't make any sense right. but this has a similar thing here where the bad guys open up the attaché cases and they wrap their guns in towels from Wonder World where they work and make the fake money yeah so they didn't even think to get towels from Hilton or anywhere else or no towels or but and they're huge just so we can see it so you just don't miss yeah. it these huge engraved monogram towels that say Wonder World on it. Well, that's why I love John Landis so much. He's telling like he is a storyteller. You know, he's using film and it's it's almost storyboard. I mean, some sometimes it feels that way, but he's telling you a story. Here comes the bad guys, and the bad guys have these henchmen. They all open up the attaché case, and here's a clue, a visual clue, Water World, and that's it's all foreshadowing in this movie. It's all every scene. From the towel on, it's going to be referenced again. So, you know, it's just like, here's this little thing, and then comes the gun, and oh, everyone in the world knows what a gun is. And so there's no dialogue. It's just the music playing in the background. You know, not not the Neutron Dance. And they couldn't get the Neutron Dance. Either they couldn't get the Pointer Sisters for this one, or they just were like, we're over it. Yeah, they were in the other two. They were in the second one, too, on the soundtrack. Yeah. And what did you think of the second? What, do you like the Hate first two it. movies? I love the first one. I absolutely love it. I think it's a classic. I mean, his attitude, the whole movie, it's like a Bugs Money film in a way. And he's he's righteous. I mean, he's right on. I mean, he's right to avenge his friend and right to kind of throw up this stuff. It reminds me a lot of Mickey Spillane, you know, in Kiss Me Deadly. He, this woman hires him, she dies, and he still pursues the murderer even though he shouldn't. And that's what he's doing. So for me, it feels like, you know, it has that that really cool, he's a detective. It's a detective movie. You know what I mean? And uh, it's also Eddie Murphy. And it, he's great in it. In uh, the second movie, it's Eddie Murphy, but everything is just kind of a little more staged and like, I don't know. What do you think of the second one, Adam? I, I hated the second one. And I was in a minority. And I left the theater... You remember Eddie Murphy's bit about how when white guys leave Rocky, they think they can beat up any anybody. <laughs> like Rocky Four had the same feeling too. But people walked out of Beverly Hills Cop too, and I remember when Stefan, Stefan, and they were like jumping around, and they were so enthused by this film, and it was like the greatest thing ever. And I fucking hated it. I didn't hate it, but it had nothing that the first one had. Yeah, it was a total music video. Yeah, it was totally. It was all stylized, and it wasn't like you said. Like, it, it didn't have any of the appeal of the first one, and it just kind of bummed me out that it just felt like such a sellout. Piece. It didn't have the same tone at all. No, he would walk in like everything would be like stylized, like music videos. Tony Scott, and he would wear these clothes like cosplay, and he would walk into a, uh, a you know whatever fill in the blank, and he would turn to the secretary because there's always a secretary, and he would say, "Just say, can I help you? Do you have an appointment? I'm yes, I'm here to see X." Do you have an appointment? Uh, well, I'm from the department of X and Y, and I'm here for this reason. And then the routine goes, and they, the secretary just nods and nods and nods and finally agrees and lets them go. And that was the second movie for me. It's a real blur, that movie. Chris Rock's in it. Gilbert Gottfried's in it. That's all I remember. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't really remember that movie. But are there any actors in the third movie that stand out besides the Return of Surge? Spoiler alert. Yeah, a lot of actors that stand out, but it has nothing to do with Beverly Hills Cop. It has everything to do with John Landis. I mean, picking Alan Young, who was Wilbur and uh, Mr. Ed, uh, to play Uncle Dave, to play the, the kind of Walt Disney character in that movie. He's also the voice of Uncle Scrooge. That guy, like, who else would pick him? You know, all the di- directors that show up in this movie to make cameos. This is not a Beverly Hills Cop movie. This is a John Landis film. So I feel like it's the chase scenes and the kind of music video aspect are just the there's there's a lot of scenes of Los Angeles in this movie in the third one but you know they were going after Beverly Hills they were going after the idea of making fun of high culture you know what I mean I don't want to step on uh, podcast toes of giving information but Alan Lo- Alan Young right from the Mr. Ed show is in this movie playing like the Walt Disney character not many people know he only got that role because Mr. Ed turned it down <laughs> wow. I gotta listen to that podcast. Then I want to hear the, what the horse has to say. Yeah, 
You know where they got the information from? Huh? Straight from the horse's mouth. Come on, really? Yeah. They, they said, how much money do you want? And he said, too much. <laughs> yeah, and he said, well, you know I'm not good at math. <laughs> <laughs> that was a horse's hoof, in case anyone, a horse's hoof. A hoof. A hoof. Yeah. So, spoiler alert, but it happens before the, you know what, Mike, there's no spoilers in this movie because yeah. everything happens before the opening credits. <laughs> right. right there's nothing that's not in layoff before the credits yeah well no no it's before the opening credits not a spoiler not a spoiler um the captain who i don't again we don't know why he's there he just happened to be walking down the street and he's yeah, so I'm, I'm only here for to evaluate do you sure you don't really get squat <laughs> yes yeah yeah i'm gonna listen to you even though you're completely wrong right i'm only here for plot so he gets <laughs> shot and killed um killed walking back to his car he just happened to be, oh, he heard peril and he ran to save the day, killed everybody, killed the villains, and then finally got a hero's death. And then, you know, he, people, I have to say, people, bullet, there's so much gunplay in this movie and it's this bloodless gunfire. So people get shot, like the bad guys will get shot, they'll move around, they're all stuntmen, they fall down, there's no blood. But if a hero gets shot, there's a little bit of blood wound. And he has enough energy to go up to the edge of a car and Axel could hold him and say his final words and go. It's a different physics about bullets and fatality when it comes to like villains and heroes. And that includes bullets trajectory, trajectory, because if, uh, villains have been using all kinds of guns in this movie to try to shoot Axel Foley and all these guns miss, all the bullets never hit him. Like, I think there's something wrong with guns. Because the sole purpose is to shoot somebody, and they can't just shoot that one person. They should get a refund. They don't, you know, like, he's like James Bond in a respect, or Superman, that he just dodges bullets. But if a villains come, bad guys come, he shoots, they all get hit. Right, right. All those bullets hit, you know, like, and that's a lot, and there's no blood. They just kind of fall, they're stuntmen, they're putting on an outdoor theater show. You know, of stuntmen, and they fall. No, no, you're right. I don't know if you ever been to Universal Studios, but they do like live shows, like they did a live backdraft show. I don't know if they still do that, where it's like the movie backdraft, which uh, uh, it it was a movie about firemen. Uh, spoiler alert! And so they do like a, <laughs> a, a house that's on fire, and people doing stunts, and it's a backdraft stunt show, and they do that for other stuff. So that's what this movie felt like. It was the Beverly Hills Cop stunt stunt show. Yeah, there was uh, Universal Studios is in this movie. One, they have a very long scene uh, where they they show the from the control booth how this uh, ride works, and and it's completely Universal Studios the ride. Oh, it's a terrible scene because so they use the disaster ride, I think it's called, and it's earthquake, and it the idea is that you're you're in a subway. It looks like you're in a subway and then there's an earthquake and things crash on you and water comes through. It's really awesome. What a terrible idea. It's <laughs> uh, a San Franciscan. I hate it. And, but so the ride, it's pretty awesome. If you've ever done it, like water comes in, an oil tanker crashes through the ground. And so that because you're in an earthquake in a subway, so all of this makes sense to you. Now in this movie, they changed it to alien attack <laughs> and they put alien on the, on the little bus you sit in. Yeah, and then he threw in a couple guys, literally from Battlestar Galactica, the original, the Cyclones, the, the Cyclones, the L- yeah, oh yeah, Cyclones, uh, cy- cyborgs, yeah, the cyborgs, using our nerd nerd cred every second, and literally, they just have them shooting in another ride, and they call it Alien Attack, and you know it's Alien Attack when they show the, the first show the uh, music park at, they you can see the overhead shot. There's a sign that says Alien Attack. And there's signs around that says, come see Alien Attack. So you're, you're well prepared. There's visual clues that there's a ride called Alien Attack in it. It's so just you. Universal Studios. So I'm watching a movie of watching a ride. And knowing the fact that there's going to be a fight in there probably in the last 10 minutes of the movie. Do you know? Like, So you have to sit through two and a half hours to get to it. The Alien Ride, the movie nuts, is like they're basically shooting. It's like when you go to a music park or something, you're like, oh, this would look good if it was actually on film. You know, yeah. because they're making it look like 
Of course it looks good because it's supposed you, to look you, like film. Water is splashing right at you, too. Yeah, it's a film experience. You know, you go to a film studio <laughs> and they say, here's what our special effects look like. Isn't that cool to be part of it? And the fact that, you know, I have to say, I know we're jumping around a little bit, but, you know, whatever. It's, we still haven't really scratched the surface. He shows up to the music park and he walks underground in the security area. He walks into a control booth. And he just kind of hangs out with the control operator who shows her, you know, like she's so disgruntled and plays. He's like, oh, hi, stranger. What's going on? Let me show you how this ride works. Here comes these people. And, uh, you know, so he gets to see it. But you, you as an audience, like, not only like, why am I watching a ride? But what is the purpose? How does this serve the story? And you just go, oh, there's going to be a shootout, you know, during, and it's going to happen here. And you have to sit through the whole movie. And, and she's the only other woman in woman and even black person in this film. So you're like, oh well, I guess this is going to be his love interest as well. But not only that, but I think she's the only other black person in in all three films besides the the captain that just got shot. Well, there's a uh, uh, the woman from T two Seven, Helen Martin, who is the uh, the old woman who has two kids at the amusement park, and the two kids are beating up uh, Okie Dokie. It's his Eddie Murphy in the costume. Remember the right. So that's so. There you go. That's the second. And it's not necessarily true. They live. In what about uh, the widow? Adam show some respect to the the lieutenant's. Widow. Oh, and the, the cops. The, the, yeah. the guy, and, the other black person's wife. Yeah. Yes. Um, you're right. But I was fascinated with that with it because I guess Beverly Hills Cop One was uh, supposed to have Sylvester Stallone. So. I, I, I always assume that's why, because Eddie Murphy was like in his early twenties. Yeah, everyone was older and white, like all his friends. Right. I thought, did he hang out with his college professors? Is that what what happened? You know, like you know, the whole film, they just didn't bother casting younger or ethnically diverse at all. Hey, Beverly Hills Cop once Sylvester Stallone haunts the trilogy because you know he's supposed to play the first one. The second one, Bridget Nielsen is the villain, and in the third one, they actually mentioned Sylvester Stallone's name. By name, I mean they. No, his mom. His mom's in the movies. Like, no, no, they call her out. He Serge from the first movie makes a surprise appearance. Sorry, yeah. again, this happened before the opening credits. Uh, <laughs> and he's selling all these big weapons, and he says, "Oh, Sylvester Stallone's mom, whatever her name is. Oh, right. She was going to buy four of them. Like, really, she's buying four of them. Um, and he's in this movie again. We're skipping around. We should really shouldn't, but she's he's like." Q from from James Bond, he's Q if Q was an offensive gay stereotype. He's Samuel L. Jackson in uh, Jackie Brown showing the Bikini Girls and Machine Gun videos to Robert De Niro if he was uh, offensive gay. gay. <laughs> yeah, or okay. if they said, listen, we have to shoot this. Think about this movie. They had to shoot this movie in six months, right? They shot this movie in less than a year and had it a release date. And they had John Landis, and I feel like not only did Eddie Murphy did not want to be there, he wasn't there. They had plenty of scenes where they had people dancing in the beginning, or stunts, or anything that had didn't have Eddie Murphy in it. You know, his stuntman's jumping on top of roller coasters or what have you, uh, but it's not Eddie Murphy, you know. So it always, uh, this movie just seems kind of overstuffed at times. Yeah, Eddie Murphy, like you said, sneak, goes to this amusement park, he sneaks downstairs, uh, they're shooting at him. For which is a crazy way, like you see a guy down in your tunnel, so you shoot at him, <laughs> and they know the cop is going to be there because they've announced it and he said who he was, so they know they're shooting at a cop. But he runs out from the underground back into the park above ground, and he runs right to a Ferris wheel, a giant Ferris wheel, and gets on, which is like the last place you want to be because you're literally, yeah. literally in a cage. Yeah, yeah. And you're literally in a cage in the air. Like you couldn't, you're you might as well gone to the sitting duck ride. Well, if you're a cop from Detroit or Beverly Hills, you would not want to put the public in danger. You would not go like I'm going to go run to the Ferris wheel to the spider. I really want to go to, you know. And uh, so he puts the whole public in danger, which he does. You know, suddenly now uh, the way that's another thing in Beverly Hills Cop One and God bless Beverly Hills Cop Two. There's not a scene where you get to watch the mechanism for three minutes in this overstuffed movie. The mechanism of the amusement park ride break. There's scenes where like who you know like is it from Axel Foley's view that we see this? Is it the you know is it John Landis showing the audience the mechanic everything breaking down? They had so much filler in this movie. You know like 
that scene you get to see the wheel, gear, the gears fly off. The the bad guys run over to the control panel for this merry-go-round, and they jimmy the the oversized switch, the cartoon-looking switches up and down, so the <laughs> sparks come out and explode. And then you see, like you said. I don't know the rat's point of view of these <laughs> old timey gears from a grandfather clock going around. And you're like, Oh no, they're going to go faster. They're going to go slower. It's like those Christmas stop motion Christmas movies. And then they start popping threaded threads and then they explode. So then the whole thing kabooples. Yeah. Kabooples a real word. And it, and it stops and um, he's stuck on there. And of course, two kids are hanging from the thing. So he's going to save them. And he jumps from car to car, essentially, in the air. And is obviously green screen. And sometimes it looks like... And a stuntman. And a stuntman. No, but it looks like the stuntman's in the green screen. Oh, yeah. Like the stuntman jumped from in the studio from one thing to another with the green screen behind him. Like I know what you're saying. Not, not even just in the air, but like a, a faraway shot, but the close-ups. That's fair enough. I mean, that's good. There's safety on the set. I'm cool with that. But but it's he's like a, this the body double is like a uh, the stunt double is about a foot taller than Eddie Murphy you know he's wearing the uh, Detroit Lions sixty seven jacket but it's like a bit larger size you know and he's he's jumping from you know by the way like he is always I have to say about this movie is that they had a franchise they had a product and they turned him literally in the end of this movie into product I'm just saying. And one of the things about Axel Foley is he has his own theme song and he has his own dressing style. He's like Marty McFly. He has a certain way that he always dresses. You know, they go to tuxedo events. He's wearing his own style. You know, it's just kind of, it's kind of funny. Like he's not really, he's a living cartoon sometimes. He's not really a person. Yeah. And you know, a lot of film franchises, when they get to number three, they make them for kids. They make them like PG. Yeah. What? So this kind of had that feel, like Police Academy. The first one was R, and then eventually became PG, a and cartoon. then almost G, a cart down to a cartoon. But this film, like you're right, it is like literally in an amusement park. Literally, uh, mascots and animals are walking around. But there's so much gun violence. It's like yeah. gun violence for kids. It's really it's it it counterbalance what is supposed to be going on it reminds me a lot of rush hour too this kind of saturday matinee feeling of like an old-timey movie where your hero gets into danger and then uh you know but the danger is really kind of scary but it's it's still aimed for kids and chris tucker is doing a much better axel foley in that movie he jumps on top of the casino table and he kicks around and causes havoc you know and that's it was not there was none of that havoc in beverly hills cop 3 uh yeah i'm with you and um Oh, I wrote this note about Eddie Murphy using uh, a stuntman for his green screen scenes. John Lannis, the director, he didn't want to take any chances. That's kind of a mean thing to write, but uh, I don't know. So George Lucas makes is a cameo in that scene. Yeah. Is there, what other famous cameos so are there? So there are uh, Martha Coolidge, who directed Desperate Seeking Susan as a security guard. John Singleton uh, is a fireman towards the end of the movie. Uh, there's a bar scene where there's like uh, Arthur M- Hiller, who, by the way, directed Burn Hollywood, Burn and Alan Smithy film, and had to change his name to Alan, uh, the credit that directed Alan, so the Alan, Alan Smithy director was there. Uh, who else? Oh, Joe Dante is the jailer in there, uh, the director, and uh, the guy who directed Reversal of Fortune is the, has the Porsche, Babbitt Schroeder. Uh, Eddie, uh, Axel Foley steals the Porsche. You know, for always on official cop business. I always got to steal your car for official cop. To, so he acts like a valet and he drives off. But that's another one. So, I, you know, again, there's none of that kind of cameo in, in the uh, Bruckheimer, Don Simpson, Beverly Hill Cops movies, the first two. And John Landis and the new producers kind of made it more of a John Landis family comedy just with a little gunplay and, uh, you know, theatrics. You know, when they were – when he's jumping on the spider, the stuntman on the green screen – there's tons of reaction shots. I mean, I do love John Landis, and he always has audience reaction shots, but it's all these, like, extra models. Like, it's young. They all have the clothes. Everyone looks right, and they're all standing there looking. And they act like it's a show. There's some, you know, some crazy guy runs on the thing. 
the thing breaks, he saves everybody, and they're applauding like they just saw the outdoor theater entertainment. You know what I mean? Like they don't. No one's like, "Oh my god, I gotta videotape it," or "I'm gonna call the police," or you know what I mean? Like run for safety. They all just stood there and watched it. Do you think that was an indictment, or do you think it was just bad acting and bad directing? It's not bad acting and bad. It's not bad directing. His timing is, you know, there's a shot to the audience watching, but it's just because it's in a amusement park that's owned by the movie theater paramount you know it's paramount great america and santa clara where the giants play the niners excuse me the 49ers santa, santa clara 49ers uh that's where the amusement park is held in santa clara so it's owned by paramount pictures which owns the beverly hills cop movies so uh, i don't know that that irritated me sorry it was annoying and i guess some more backstory they were looking for other plots before this one for beverly hills cop 3 and one was him going to England and a couple in England. I don't know why. And then there was one um, worth repeating that it was him, Grant Tinker's idea, the guy who came up with all the great NBC shows, Golden Girls, and um, or at least according to him, he came up with them. His idea was to put him with uh, Eddie Murphy's Axel Foley with uh, Crocodile Dundee. That's not a bad idea. That's that whole Men in Black, 21 Jump Street crossover idea. Where you just have two they're, two larger than life uh, cartoon characters bounce off each other. They're doing that. Well, there's always a talk of that. That was in the leaked Sony emails. It had your address, your social security, oh and information about yeah. Not only was the, I was a victim of that leak, but and you can hear this on the show when I interview um, John Pearson, which is like the great. It was like one of my great moments in life. I fell for a scam right while the interview was happening and I gave them my phone number and my email address and I get phone calls every day of people telling me that my credit's ruined, that my computer's ruined, that uh, <laughs> the house is on fire. All day long I get calls. Once a day. That's me, Adam. Day. Adam, your house is on fire. <laughs> I have your credit. What's your credit card number? Your refrigerator's running. Yeah. yeah. I would rather it was just like they send it to 12-year-old boys who prank called me every day. You know, your refrigerator's running. You better catch it. Yeah, right. Do you have Fritz Albert in the can? That was the one we did all yeah. the time. We called the chicken place. And I said, chicken delight. How big are your breasts? And then you, what would you say to the bowling alley? Oh, how big are your balls? 20 pounds. God, how do you walk? And then you hang up and we laugh. Yeah. Jesus, this is no different uh, 100 years later. I just want to take a second before we go back to the movie to talk about Chris Gore. He's awesome. He, of course, started Film Threat back in the day, the film magazine, independent film. And he's sold it to somebody else for a while, and now he's gotten it back. So he's trying to bring it back. It's a great magazine for if you like these kind of if you like the kind of films we usually cover on this show and weird films and and he did a lot, I think, for, for film in general. So it's a great magazine. It'll come back if you help it. So you can go to filmthreat.com for the Kickstarter or go to um proudlyresents.com slash Kickstarter and that'll send you to his Kickstarter and give him some money. Uh, I think it'd be a big help, and it's a, a great, not a great cause. It's a great magazine, so you're pretty much buying a magazine, I guess, before it comes out. So look up the history of Film Thread. It's um, if you like films, like weird films, that's the place to go. I mean, that was always the place to go from day one for a hundred years. And then while I were talking about things, Michael's my brother. He listened to his podcast is Let's Watch a Full Length Movie on YouTube. And you can find that on, you can go to his website, which is great because it has the full length movie on YouTube and you can listen with or without uh, his commentary and you can go to proudlyresents.com slash let's L-E-T-S. And can I say that I have Chris Gore as a guest scheduled on October 2nd. We're going to watch his movie Red. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, you do some good movies. I was kind of jealous because we did a terrible one. And but uh, the other ones you did are like really good, um, and it, it's a great website. Just look to see what good movies are on YouTube um, or weird obscure films. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, it's really good. So I think let's let's kind of get through this movie. Um, yeah, sure, sure. Well, he finds the bad guy right away, the shooter right away. He finds him, and then he finds that the guy's getting an award. It's almost like they made this up. Yeah, because it's, a, it's like you said, it's like a cartoon. For the National Association of Security Guards, because he's a security guard. He's a guard, private yeah. contractor. He's the largest. Largest of the West Coast, Axel. Axel. Axel, he's the largest contract, private contractor executive in the West Coast. 
That's that's how they explain everything. That's your Judge Reinhold? The only person to come back. Well, they have, uh, Taggart's not in there, but they have a replacement. And the way that Hector Alexander does it is that it's classic. He's so nonchalant and blasé walking in there. It's so calculated. He's like, oh, yeah, hey, what's up? You know, like, there goes the new guy. Oh, yeah, hey, oh, who, what, huh? Oh, yeah, Taggart, uh, Taggart sent me a postcard from Florida, and he told me about you on the postcard. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's out fishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'll see you later, Axel. You know, like... Axel, you know, then later he likes his phone. He's like, it's Axel, Axel. You know, he resigns himself. He's like, oh, Axel. You just met the guy, like, not more than, you know, well, I guess in the first movie, too, it was a, within a weekend. How long did this movie take? Like, what duration did this movie take place? He was the assassination of his boss, and then he went over to Beverly Hills, and, he, and then he goes over to the amusement park. I mean, he spends a week? No, he drove to Beverly Hills because he took his car. Yeah, it's it's the third movie. You might as well just drive to you know going back to Beverly Hills. I don't understand why would you go to London? The movie's called fucking Beverly Hills Cop, <laughs> and he's from Detroit. That's the angle. It's that he's from Detroit. It's not like Detroit Cop goes to London. I never even thought of that. If it was called Detroit Cop, it'd be like Detroit Cop goes to London. That's fine. I get it. Right, right. Yeah, this movie. I just was. It feels like a John Landis movie. There's a lot of. Uh, I have to stress that it's all federal crimes for a cop who's going off to avenge his cop dead cop well, lieutenant with no jurisdiction. He's just vigilanting it. It's uh, counterfeit money and terrorism within an amusement park. This is, these are federal crimes. These are not like break cards. You know, it's not chop shops anymore. This is real, like, and no one, like, blinks an eye that this guy, I mean, he does remind me of Mickey Spillane. He just goes, he's single-mindedly going to solve this, even if it, he should really have the feds take care of it. Right, he's avenging the guy's death. And I wanted to, before we get off track, the really unbelievable part is that why would Beverly Hills let them have an amusement park in Beverly Hills? You know how expensive <laughs> real estate is in Beverly Hills? And and if that was a real park, yeah. just so you know, right now it's filled with condominiums from the <laughs> edge of the street on each side corner. Under the roller coaster. Under the roller coaster, there's an amusement, uh, there's a condo. There's the bumper cars yeah. surrounded by a village. It's it's Santa Clara. It's it's the it's our it's our Six Flags Great Adventure. So it's a Bay Area thing uh, where they go to. But I read an IMDb that on the map the Judge Ron Harold has it would be Encino where the when they they show the flash they they spend like five minutes on this set. Uh, Axel, this is a map that has you know this very dry LA humor, and then like just for this payoff of showing a light flashing on the map. That's what I mean. That's a John Landis joke. It's these office meetings. So every John Landis movie has an office meeting. Whether it's Blues Brothers, Blues Brothers 2000, uh, all those films always have an office, Animal House. And in this movie, they were, they're always in an office. I don't know what that has to do with anything, but, you know, Axel goes to the police station or he goes to this office. He goes, Judge Reinhold has an office. He shows him the office. It's just, uh, you know, I kind of like that. I like. You like that they spend 20 minutes looking at offices? Yeah, it's absurd. You like real estate. It's status quo. You go to a yeah. music park, they play the same song over and over again, and they show someone tr- trample on a train, and the train goes, yeah, welcome to, ouch! The train said that? The song said, ouch? You know, when they knock over the train, the song goes, ouch! How is that possible? You know what I love? Uh, yeah. When they meet Serge from the first movie, they, he has the fucking nerve to say to him, because he meets Serge in the first movie at the art gallery where the bad guy owns, you know, because he goes to visit the bad guy. Yeah. And he says, what happened to your art gallery? Well, Dick, you busted the guy who was putting money into this money though. laundering. He says that you shot him, don't you remember? Yeah, like, what a, what a me... Oh, sorry, too soon. So uh, the bad guy is at this convention for security guards. He's getting an award. And of course, and it makes no sense that Axel's there. And then he jumps on stage and they get into a fight. And, he yeah, grandstands. This is kind of a waste of time scene. Yeah, but there's like and, uh, reaction shots from the audience and sitting at the banquet tables. There's more reaction shots from extras in that movie. There's more people in those in those extras in those scenes than saw the movie, right? <laughs> An- another fascinating thing about this film is it's always on TV. Yeah, it's you said it's on tonight. I had to record this on IFC. IFC. I just recorded it on IFC on Friday tonight. Yeah, but it's like I don't have cable. I got rid of cable. 
and I have those over-the-air channels, and there's like a bunch of them now, HD channels, and they're on all of them. They're, and they all have themes. There's one called Comet, Comment, Comet, which is, uh, for people like bad movies, they do bad science fiction films. Oh, wow. And and bad science fiction, uh, Outer Limits. And is this a monthly really, subscription? You would have to actually pay? No, it's free. Oh, it's free. Yeah, well, I like just that. Plug into, yeah. His antenna. There's commercials, which is why I had to end up renting Beverly Hills Cop 3 because I could not stand sitting through the commercials. This movie's slow enough. So anyway, I, I just so after the assassin, after the Vlots thing, he meets the bad guy who took money to U.S. mint paper to print counterfeit money in the bowels of an amusement park, and the the Walt Disney owner contacts out Axel Foley with the thanks to the disgruntled employee to say, I think something's afoot. And he gives him a clue. I mean, it reminds me of those TCM movies they show on Saturday. The, you know, it's the typewriter man. Typewriter man and lucky devil, you know. And it's the serials, the 60-minute serials. And uh, that's what it felt like. That's why, you know, I respect John Landis. I love the guy. But that's what he's, That's what it felt like, a serial. Like a radio drama serial movie, you know, that you watch in the afternoon. He hands Eddie Murphy a note that he got from his friend that he's suspect, and the note said basically, I think I wrote down word for word, I gotta find it, but basically, um, help. <laughs> oh, yeah, this, it says, this is important, life or death. And he said, do you think this is important? Do you think this is important, you <laughs> son of a bitch? You know, when Mr. Ed saw that scene in the movie theater, mm-hmm. he said, oh, Wilbur. <laughs> You. Oh my god, that's funnier than I gave it. That's a very funny joke. Uh, well, let's get out of here. All right, that's the. That's, that's it. That's all I can say about that movie. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's other part. You know, of course, there's the air vents when he crawls through it in the uh, amusement park. Um, oh, and at one point, the bad guy shoots the Uncle Dave. The um, oh, I can't character. believe that. That was terrible. He shoots him right in the leg with a machine gun. He shoots him, and then and then he blames it on Eddie Murphy. And I, I don't know how. It got around so fast as Eddie Murphy that it was another person that who shot Uncle Dave, but then you hear background people saying, "Did you hear some black guy shot Uncle Dave?" And it's like, "Well, there's only one black." And Eddie Murphy's like, "Oh shit!" They, they'll yeah, think they'll it's think me. it's me. That line is so peculiar because it's a very barren movie. It's almost in a vacuum. So that line was definitely scripted for the movie, and it's funny because there's the, there's the. Uh, he's, he, I don't know. It just seems like a you know grittier joke that would be better suited yeah. than, than in this movie. And even when he's at the bar and there's all these famous directors having a drink and Forrest J. Ackerman of famous monsters movie magazine is in this scene and they say the suspect is an African American and they immediately turn to Eddie Murphy who is on the phone at the back of the bar and he's, you know, he's gone. You see the phone dangling from the, the payphone, but uh, they immediately turn to the one black guy in the bar. Yikes! It's Axel's gun that they shoot the uh, Uncle Dave with, but he confronts the bad guy and they save him. And just to wrap it up, I just uh, at the end they have like a Star Wars celebration where they 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 the Uncle Dave at the amusement park they shoot off a bunch of balloons and he says, "I want to present to you guys who are all morphine up. They're all shot, but somehow they survive." Our latest cartoon character, Axel Fox, and I really felt when I first saw this movie. Paramount Pictures took this guy and literally turned him into a cartoon that will be a pro- uh, uh, the face of their amusement parks. You know what I mean? Like they try to turn him into a cartoon. Into uh, they did, yeah. The, like you said, the whole movie was a cartoon, and then they actually turned him into a cartoon. It's weird. It's a good way to end it, Mike. I appreciate it. Thanks. Go to proudlyresents.com slash Beverly Hills Cop. And that'll give you to all three Beverly Hill Cop movies from... I'm going to listen to them. I didn't realize. Oh, uh, yeah. You didn't know you were in a part of a bigger thing. Uh, you wrote podcast, a crawl on your tweet, and I just said, that's just some tweet bullshit. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, you know, these Twitter kids with their pod crawls. So this is the pod crawl with uh, Does It Have Legs and Hey, Do You Remember? And they're both great shows. You listen to them anyway. Along with your show... Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube.blogspot.com. Just go there. And this goes very as simple as that. Yeah, it's simple. And then as when that. is your your weekly show? You do a weekly comedy show in San Francisco. Uh, and it's been going on for close to seven years. It's uh, in Oakland on Tuesdays. The bar is called the Layover, uh, and Tuesday at eight o'clock. And there's different producers doing different shows, different weeks, and I do a bunch of weeks there uh, there as well. It's uh, it's been going strong. Yeah.
So check it out. That's at uh, oaklandlayovercomedy.tumblr.com. Proudly resent. We've been around for a long time. There's a lot of almost 200 episodes, a lot of reviews. Half of them are reviews and half of them are interviews with people who made bad films and uh, or cult films. And they're all worth listening to, every single one of them. Mike is on a, a lot of them. You can find oh. him there. Which one do you recommend? Do you recommend any? Do you remember any episode I've done besides oh, even with you on it? Well, you you have a bunch of trauma people you interview. You interview the the main trauma gentleman and a bunch of actors in one of his films. And uh, you, Shadow Stevens, I would say check out the Shadow Stevens interview. I think that's one of my favorites for sure because you you ask him one of my questions about how did did you know you were shooting kids? <laughs> that was my question. Like, and you're like, you know, you're shooting kids. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's a scene where he's shooting the the rope. The kids are tied up in the field, and they he's shooting the rope. That was actually a really good interview because uh, he's a famous DJ, and he made this movie years ago, and it's it's a great bad movie. It's called Tracks T R A X X, and it's very ultra violent. And basically, he just said the reason it's so crazy is because the director was drunk the whole time and was trying to top himself of being crazy so that was uh the honesty was appreciated yeah and th- that was actually i'm glad you brought that that was interesting and lloyd kaufman the guy who co-president co-founder of trauma films was that's a great interview and the interview with mike williams from blair witch project oh yeah which is relevant yeah it's trendy. all right mike thank you so much thanks adam thanks He's for trendy. everyone for the podcast five crawl i'm glad to be part of it yeah so uh at proudly resents is our uh twitter Go to Facebook, join the Facebook group. It has a lot of movie stuff in there in general, not just stuff about the show, but uh, try to keep it movie-centric, cult film-centric. And then reach Adam at Mac.com if you have any comments, movie suggestions, and that's it. So listen, if you're a first-time listener and you're like, hey, I haven't heard, it won't be an episode in a while because you have a kid and a job and, and all that other excuses. <laughs> There's 200 episodes. There's some good ones. There's some great ones. And oh yeah, there's some terrible ones, but they're all there. Fish through them. Find your favorite. Uh, Adam Felber from Wait Wait Don't Tell Me is on a lot of them. Nico is always hilarious. She's great. She's great. So uh, check it out. Oh, sorry, I was, yeah, I'll leave a link too to all the episodes that Mike was on. This is a great. Yeah, Mike. Oh, I was hoping you you were mentioning that we might have done an episode with Nico. Like I would have been part of a show with her, and I was looking forward to it. That's all I was gonna say. And Mike, I appreciate and everyone's patience for uh, getting to record this. And Eddie Murphy for making one more. It's not a bad Eddie Murphy movie. It's not a bad John Landis movie. I like this movie. I've seen it over two dozen times for sure. It's a good movie. It's just not what you expect it to be. That's all. Yeah. Yeah, you watch it again. Yeah, I watch, I'm watching it right now. I have it on TV. I have the. <laughs> Here. Is the volume down? Not anymore. Adam, that, we're, we're out of time for this interview.